Uh, this morning, I thought, I prepared this week that I was going to speak on the spirit of heaviness. There's, a, there's a, a scripture that says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He gives us a, a cloak, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But this morning, uh, early this morning, about 3 o'clock, as I was praying and meditating, in my spirit I heard, uh, come out of hiding. And so I decided, well, there's no, no use in trying to get back to sleep, although I did try. And got up and, and uh, began to just pray and and uh, it, it's not it's not something I'm, it's foreign to me. I've spoken on this subject before, but uh, pulled out some old notes and and then just began to speak for the Lord. We are obviously, as you know, in unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. We've none of us have lived simultaneously simultaneously for a, a worldwide pandemic. And uh, Rachel runs to the house singing "Corona Be Gone," which I think is probably a song that she put some. Some music to because I like that one. And then she sings, Corona won't stop my praise. And she means it too. And it doesn't, nothing stops her praise. In fact, not even at 12 o'clock at night, she's still praising. Sometimes we have to get her to take that praise to sleep so we can get some rest too. Um, but my family and I just came off of a, uh, a six day vacation. As you know, the New Smyrna Beach is the longest vacation that I can remember that we've done. In, in several years. Uh, I'm going to read some of my notes and I'm going to talk to you about the Lord sharing with me. Being away in a place of forced rest brings people like me to a place of contemplation. It gave me an opportunity to commune with Father in a different way. It gave me time to reflect on the craziest year that any of us have probably ever seen. We've just finished July, the seventh month of the year. Now we're entering into the eighth month. And uh, if you study scripturally, uh, there are seven uh, there are seven colors in the rainbow. There are seven notes in a scale, in a major scale. Uh, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And then do is eight, but it's actually number one of the next uh, octave. And so the Lord works at seven, seven days in the week, seven colors in the rainbow, seven notes in the scale. And so when we read about sevens in the scripture, we think of completion. I'm thankful that the first seven months of this year are completed because God knows we needed them to be completed. And, and as I said, Corona and those first seven months be gone. And yet, eight signifies a new beginning. When you get to the eighth day, you're on a new beginning. When you get to the eighth note in the scale, you're at a new beginning, a higher level, as it were, a higher dimension. And I just can't help but believe that the Father is going to take all of us, corporately and individually, to a new dimension of His glory, a new dimension of His understanding. There were a whole lot of pastors and a whole lot of preachers that said that God gave them the vision and, and, and the, 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 the insight that this would be the year of clarity. And so far, this has been anything but the year of clarity. And yet, the year is not over yet. The year is not over. Just ask the Falcons from a few years back at halftime. 27 degree means nothing. Twenty-seven three means nothing. I just feel like there's something that's going to happen in the final third of this year that maybe is going to help make the first seven months make a whole lot of sense. I hope for that, and I pray for that individually. I hope, and I hope to pray for that for our church and for our our, our local area. God knows for our country. Um, we've never seen a time like this. Uh, some things are com completed, and we're beginning to walk into the possibility and the realization of new dreams. Now more than ever, it's a time. To dream and pursue his dream for all of us. It seems God always seems to do things backwards. Like he'll cause his people to come up on a Red Sea with a raging army behind them. And, and, and if you were to use men's wisdom or if you were to use logic, you would say, God led us down the wrong path. And yet it was his design that they were up against the Red Sea and up against the Pharaoh army and an Egyptian army behind them so that he could do what only he can do. They didn't take a wrong turn. They weren't going on the wrong path. They were exactly where the Father wanted them to be. And yet, if they didn't have the understanding and the foresight that Father had, they would have said, wait a minute, you've driven us out of Egypt where we knew. Now they're mad at us. They're chasing us and going to kill us. And we can't go to where we'd like to go because this Red Sea is in front of us. Why did you bring us here? And if I could be the Lord for a moment, I would say, I brought you here to show you that when you've done all you can do, watch me and let me do all I can do. Some people, I believe, for the first seven months of 2020 have done all you can do. Now it's time for the Lord to do it only He can do. And when Moses got there and Aaron and all the people, they look and there's a red sea in front of them and the Pharaoh army, Egyptian army behind them. The Lord simply says to them, what do you have in your hand? 
I think it's such wisdom. It's not what I want to talk about this morning, but maybe as a side note. Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses looks down and says, I got this stick. And the Lord says, well, why don't you use the stick? It amazes me how many people in 2020 are trying to find something to use that they don't already have. And the Lord wants you to take what you've already got and put it to work. What do you have in your hand? Well, I've got this stick. Well, I'll tell you what. You put it over the water and do what you can do and trust me to do the thing that only I can do. Moses didn't know what was going to happen except he put his, his staff over the water and the next thing you know, the Bible says with the breath of his nostrils that God blew down on the Red Sea and blew departed. They crossed over on dry ground and just as the Egyptian army was coming into the Red Sea, the Red Sea is, is, is typical. It speaks of the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as we walk through the blood of Jesus Christ, as we walk through the blood of Jesus Christ to get to the promise, all of the enemy that followed behind us is drowned in the blood, which is to say their past was drowned in the blood of Jesus. You hear me? Everything that they were once a part of, their slavery, their bondage uh, to sin, the slavery to Egypt was drowned in the Red Sea of the blood of Christ. And when they got to the other side, the Lord said, now turn around. Before I give you one more thing, I want you to turn around and look what I've already done. And Moses turns around. And the Lord speaks to him and says, This enemy that you see now before you, you will see again no more forever. You'll never see him again. I believe that some people have walked into August and are going to turn around and say, My God, Corona just about killed me. And my my husband has done this. And my wife has done this. Or I've lost all of my finances. I know some of you have lost your businesses. And I can hear the voice of the Lord if I can, if, if you would permit me to say, look at the enemy that you see now before you because it will, it will come to you again no more forever. Yeah. Yeah. Now where do we go, Lord? Yeah. Walk on into your promise. It's a place that I've created for you. A land flowing with milk and honey. Is this, is, is this connected with anybody? I know I'm just I know I'm just getting started, but uh, it speaks to me. The manifestation of Christ in you is the hope of glory. The Bible says it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Whose hope is hope? This month coincides with the Hebrew month of of Elul, which is the 12th month of the Jewish civil year and the 6th month of the ecclesiastical year on the Hebrew calendar. It's a time for repentance and a time to prepare for the high holy feasts, which are just upon us. It can be understood as an acronym for this phrase. This is where we are. If we were to look at a Jewish calendar, Elul literally means this. It's an acronym for this. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's. It's Song of Solomon, the Song of Song. And my beloved is mine. What, what happens in the Jewish calendar in this month is they're preparing for the Feast of Judgment, the, uh, in Rosh Hashanah, you know, you, you should know some of your Jewish calendar. And and although we're not we're not all necessarily by, by blood Jewish, Paul says in the New Testament there is therefore now not a separation of the Jew or the Greek. In other words, the promised people and the Gentile, the ones that had no promise of God. Now we're all one people, and now we're Jewish people of the heart, which is to say that we receive into ourselves the promises of Abraham because of what Jesus did, including all of us into the family. Does that make sense? And so, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. When you approach what we understand as judgment, if you approach it based on a, a, a modern day theology, then God's mad and he's ready to be ticked off at, at everything you've done and half the stuff you haven't done. And for 30 years, he's going to you know, consign you to hell forever. And, but, but that's not all it was. It was so that we can boldly approach. You approach the throne with, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That's the husband. That's the husband that sits on the throne. That's the father that sits on the throne. That's not some stranger that's looking to judge me and whack me with a, with a holy stick. It's a royal scepter that he's going to stretch out to me and say, what, was, what, would, what would you like to have? I'll give it to you into the half of my kingdom. It's a time for repentance. And remember, repentance also, I, I have to tackle a lot of mindset because in, in our modern Western theology, we think repentance means to say I'm sorry for something. And literally, that is not in any way what it means. Not to suggest saying you're sorry is not a good thing. Repentance literally means repent, to turn back. That's what repentance is. It's to turn back. It's to turn to something. We always preach and declare what we're turning from. And whatever, that, whatever your particular quote, quote, sin is, 
That's what repentance is. It's turning from that. That's not repentance. Repentance is to, is to reframe your mind in the way that God intended for your mind to be always. When God created Adam and Eve, think about this in the garden. There was no sin, no sickness, no curse. Everything that that man and that woman needed was already there in the garden with them. When, uh, their job was simply to steward what God gave them. It wasn't to create something. It wasn't to, 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 to win something. It, and it certainly wasn't to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it was to live in the garden that Father had prepared for them. And he said, of, of, of all the trees of the garden, you can eat except one. Take, take and eat of all the trees of the fruit of the garden, except for the one, the tree of the knowledge of good. So repentance is not so much turning from something as it is turning to something. You, it, because if you only turn from something and you don't turn to something, guess what's going to happen? Over time? You're going to turn back to the thing that you turned away from. It is a time for repentance. Some notable happenings during this month are the following. Moses ascends to Mount Sinai for the third time. Noah dispatches a raven and a dove returns ultimately with an olive branch. The Jerusalem walls were rebuilt. It is a very significant month. It's significant then and it carries weighty significance even today. As I was resting, as I said this morning, I, I felt like I heard the Lord whisper to me to come out of hiding. And I thought today I would speak on the spirit of heaviness, but the moment he spoke, I knew this is what I was to share. Come out of hiding as if it were simultaneously a challenge, a calling, and a command. The challenge is to hear his voice as it always was. The voice of the Father longing for communion. We see the, the heart of the Father in the book of Genesis, the beginnings. And this is Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And then they heard the sound of the Lord, or as the King James puts it, the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Remember, come out from hiding. They hid themselves among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Not because God didn't know, but because they needed to recognize where they were. They needed to recognize. Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, replied Adam. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? The implication is, it didn't come from me. Yeah. Let's, let's just hang right here for a moment. Who told you you were naked? From the moment that God reached down and breathed into Adam at that time, which was a bag of dust, the Bible says, and God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. From that very moment when Adam took the first breath in the new creation that God had created and walked around. There was no sickness. There was no sin. There was no understanding of being without anything. Nakedness is not just, does not just mean no clothing. The implication is you're without something. And the Lord says to Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I heard your voice walking, which is not uncommon. He always heard the voice walking. But I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I did. To say it again, and I preached this message before, I don't want to stop, I just want to hang here for a minute. I was afraid, let me say it a different way, I had fear in my heart because I saw myself as being without something that I should have. And so I hid myself. I hid myself from communion with you, which it, 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 it insinuates, I it hid myself from community. Remember when God created days one, one through six, or one through five, God creates all that was, and then on the sixth day he creates man, and the Bible says, and God looked and saw all that he created, and it was very good. When he looked at all the creation, he said it's very good. Now, before serpent, before sin, before the curse, the, it's, it's interesting, I love this, I've only seen it recently, in the next, last year or so. The Bible says, and God saw that man was alone, and he saw that it was not good. 
The very first not good thing that happened was not sin, and it wasn't the serpent. The very first not good thing was that man did not have community. Which is to say, you are designed for community. You're designed not to withdraw yourself and be away from people. You're designed to open yourself up and enjoy community and, and love people. And open your heart for to receive and to give love. And one of the first things that happens is when we believe the lie that we are less than what we really are, is we begin to withdraw ourselves. And as we begin to withdraw ourselves, then we begin to build up walls around our heart. And just like God said in creation, He would say, hey, that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Some of you have gone through stuff in the first seven months of this year that has already caused you brick by brick and piece by piece to build walls around your own heart and say, look, because they don't agree with me politically or because of what this one said or that one did or what the, or what the news channels have told us or what the pundits have said. And brick by brick by brick by brick, you begin to build a wall around your heart. Before you know it, you're completely and utterly hidden and alone. And I can say like the Lord would say, that's not good. It's exactly what the enemy would like to have happen to us. It's what the enemy would like to have, but it's not what the Father wants. We're designed—I've been through it. I'm not talking about something that I learned from te some textbook. I've done this. I've lived this. Where you, you where you go through insecurities, or you go through hurt, or you go through pain. There's, a, there's an interesting saying that I use it when I counsel a lot, and it's this: uh, I sat with my anger long enough until she told me her real name was grief. Another way to say it, I sat with my bitterness long enough until she told me her real name was grief. Which is to say, if you don't learn to deal with grief in trying times, if you just brush it off and brush it off and brush it off and don't deal with it, it will re-manifest somewhere in your life most of the time as anger. Sometimes even worse is bitterness. I've been through it. I know what I'm talking about. When my father passed, within a month I was putting a new roof on this old church. Within three months, many of us were over there working hour, hour, I mean tirelessly, to remodel the church. And, we, and in my mind, at least, I was thinking I was doing a good thing, which I was. What I didn't do was take a big, fat step back and say, man, I need to breathe for a minute. I need to allow myself time to process this. This is a major thing that just happened in my life. Instead, I just went on a lot. I'm like, my deal with this now. i got other stuff to do. And what happened is, over the first three years of me being in this position I was in, is, is I became angry, and I became, I didn't know I was, and I was bitter, and it came through in my relationships, it came through in my ministry, it came through in every part of my life, even with my wife and my children, and I didn't know it, until finally one day I woke up and said, huh, well you've been skewing poison all over the place for about three years, what is the deal? And the Lord said, you never allowed yourself to grieve. I sat with my bitterness long enough until she told me her name was grieved. So what we do. When something happens to us, I can say, let's just say, listen, when 2020 happened to us, because 2020 didn't come, it happened to us. COVID-19 happened to us. Racial wars happened to us. I'm not saying there's not some truth in the underlying re reality that stuff has happened, you know. But these things have happened to us. None of this was any topic of anybody, even last year, year before, at least not the major topic of the day. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't talk about these things. Obviously, social injustice is deep to be talked about. They're not going to be talked about here. They're going to be talked about there. They're not going to be dealt with in the right way. It's going to be dealt with a political spirit instead of the spirit of God that has at his heart the goodness of every man. COVID-19 happened to us. Pandemic happened to us. Go get locked in your house may have happened to you. Lose half of your business, or God forbid, all of your business happen to you. I know teachers, I mean, I think they should get three times what they get paid. Teachers have to all of a sudden become techies. I mean, you have to become techies. You have to learn how to prepare a lesson and be able to apply that lesson and teach it online. It's insane what, it, what, what, has been, what has happened to us. And if we're not careful, then we'll allow 2020 to happen to us in such a way that brick by brick, we put walls up. Good work. And before you know it, I don't commune with you, and you don't commune with me. Yeah. I don't agree with you, you don't agree with me, so I'm putting up this wall around my heart. I'm not letting you in. I was afraid because I was naked, because I saw myself as without. And so I hid. I hid from communion. The worst place to be is is to hide yourself from the presence of the Lord, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, is impossible. You can't hide from the Lord. That's why when the Lord came to Adam, he said, where are you? 
Not because Adam didn't know where he was. I mean, because God didn't know where he was, but because Adam didn't know where he was. And the Lord just simply saying, hey, you're the same place you've always been. Except now you're hiding from me. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. Who told you that? Essentially, who lied to you? I never told you that. Okay. Come out of hiding. Adam was hiding in the trees. And the father said, what, what are you hiding for? I don't have what I used to have. Who told you that you were naked implies that the father did not say that he was naked. His description of you is not as one without cover, but as one without the need of a cover. Until that moment, the man and the woman were clothed with his glory and likeness. Although the father didn't say the words come out of hiding, the implication is that's what he wanted them to do. Maybe he didn't use the phrase come out of hiding because he never intended for them to hide in the first place. The thing that caused them to hide was fear, and there's no need to fear in the father's presence. I say again, there's no need to fear. You, you can read, read the account of John. 1 John 4. Read the apostle John. Who every time you find him, he's got his head pressed up against Jesus' chest in the Gospels. He would be the one to which the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. We think it's the revelation of Antichrist. No, you read the book, the revelation of Jesus the Christ. It's about the revealing of Christ. And John says, if you still fear, then your love has not been perfected. Because fear has to do with judgment and condemnation. But perfect love casts out all fear. In case you didn't know, it's in your Bible. Read the accounts of John. It don't take very long. I think 3 John only got, what, four chapters in it? The thing that caused him to hide was fear. There's no fear in the Father's presence. We said this morning, check your shame at the door. It's not welcome here anymore. Here is no place for shame in His presence. I hear Him calling. To come out of hiding. It is the beckoning call of a father who is longing to see his sons and daughters realize their true identity and run back to their place of favor. It's the picture of the prodigal son returning to the prodigal father. You heard me preach recently, prodigal father, because prodigal after all means lavish spender. If there's ever been anyone that's been prodigal in the history of creation, it would be the father because he so lavishly spent everything that he had to redeem mankind back into himself. Oh, you're quiet today. Your minds are on fire. Or you're sleeping. <laughs> Prodigal after all means lavish spender, so it's fair to consider the father as such, seeing as how he sold all that he had to purchase the field because of the pearl of great price that was buried deep within him. Upon seeing the return of his son in the distance, father runs to him and restores everything unto him. A new robe, new shoes, new ring, and a lavish celebration. I'm going to say it again, but I want you to hear it prophetically. Here's what's coming at the end of this year. New robe, new shoes, new ring, and a lavish celebration. New robe, new shoes, new ring, and a lavish celebration. His son has been long hidden in a mistaken identity. That's what sin is. Sin does not mean I smoked or I said something bad or I cut that lady up. That's not sin. That's the effects of sin. Sin is living in any, in any way beneath your privilege as a son and daughter of God. That's what sin is. And so the, the prodigal son had lived, had lived beneath his privilege. His son had been mistaken, hidden in a mistaken identity. He had found himself lost in a faraway land. His true identity was unknown in that land. And as such, he was the goodest hidden. He was hiding in the shame of his failure. He was hiding in the shame of his poor decisions. Anybody else relate to this? He was hiding in the brokenness of his soul. In his hiding, he came to himself, the Bible says. I believe, as implied by Scripture, that when it says he came to himself, he remembered who he really was. Let's stop right here and talk about this is Jesus' story. It's one part of a three-part story, but we're just going to talk about this one. This is Jesus' story, telling the story of the prodigal son. 
And he went out and he, and he said, Father, give me you know, what belongs to me. And the father says, here, you can have what belongs to you. And so the son got what belonged to him. And he took it. And the Bible says he wasted it on lavish living, on riotous living is the way the King James says it. Which is to say he wasted it on, on, on parties and, and, and prostitutes and you name it. He wasted it. And before long, the Bible says he began to be hungry. He was hungry. And he became so hungry that he said, man, that pig slop over there, it don't look very appetizing, or, but, but, it, but, it, but it's food, so I'm just going to go eat some of that. You can always tell you're far away from where you should be when you're willing to eat stuff. That and this, this is a Jewish man. I mean, they don't not only eat pig's food, they don't touch a pig. Jesus thought so much of pigs that when he cast the demons out of the one little boy, he commanded him to go into the swine. I mean, this is the lowest of the low. But the Bible says, and, 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 and as he fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine eat. That's the way your King James says it. He said, and he came into himself. Yes. He came into himself, which is to say he remembered something about himself that was always true, but had been forgotten in the midst of his shame and his mistaken identity and his failure. But he remembered. Why did he remember? I love this. How did he come to himself and remember something about himself? Because he remembered the goodness of his father. Because he said, in my father's house, even the servants have enough to eat and some to spare. So I'm going back to father's house. Would to God that somebody in August would say, look, I might have made some mistakes. And I might have found myself in the midst of failure. And I might have done some things I shouldn't have done. And I've hit myself in shame. And I've walled myself off from community. But I remember the goodness of the father. In his house, there's plenty. In his house, I'm And he says he remembered that in his father's house, even the servants have plenty of food and some to spare. So he says this, I'll go to my father. I'm going back home. Yeah. 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 But he doesn't say going back home. He says, I'm going to my father. Yeah. Because that is home. Where the father is, that's home. I'll go back to my father. Here's what I'm going to do. Because I've made such a mess, because I've lived in a sinful life, because I've lived in a mistaken identity, I'm going to tell my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And I've sinned against you. It was six that he's going to say this in his prayer. And I've sinned against you. So I tell you what, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But if you just let me work as one of your hired servants, man, just, just, just give me a house over to the side. I'll work for it. I'll pay off everything that I spent that I shouldn't have spent. I'll pay you back everything. That's what I'll do. That's a great idea. And in tears, he said, that's what I'm going to do. I thank my father. I know his goodness. I thank you receiving to him. He runs back to the father's house. And the Bible says that the father seeing the son afar off. I mean, he's still a good ways off. The father says, that's my boy. My boy coming home. He jumps up off his porch and he runs after the son. He embraces the son. Where's David? David, come help me real quick. He embraces the son. Or Jade, or whoever's close. He embraces the son. The Bible says he falls on his neck and kisses him. There's one translation that says, and he kissed him. He simply could not stop kissing him. He sees his boy. He grabs his boy. You're, you're a nice looking guy. You look like your daddy. And he grabs him. And he hugs him. And the boy is getting ready to repeat what he had said that he was going to rehearse probably the whole way back home. I'm good for nothing. And I've messed up. And I don't deserve to be called by your name. I certainly don't deserve to live in your house. I've wasted what you gave me. I've lived in sin and bitterness and shame. I've wasted it all. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And just as he opens his mouth to make his confession, the father interrupted his whole prayer and said, Hey, my boy's back home. Bring me a new ring and bring me some new shoes and bring him my robe. The best robe in the house, by the way, belong to the father. It was the father's robe, and it's the robe that he wore as he sat down on, on his seat of authority. Hear what I'm not saying. You're going to have to read between the lines some this morning. Bring me the best robe. Don't bring me tattered robes, and don't even bring me my other robe. Bring me the best robe, which is said, bring my robe, and bring me a new pair of shoes. Just as the son is getting ready to repeat the sinner's prayer and get back into favor with the father, the father is saying, you never lost favor in the first place. I've been waiting on you. There's been a robe been a new pair of shoes in my closet and I've got a ring that I'm bringing to you. And by the way, it's party time. Let's have some steak. Yes. Since it's the Lord, he probably likes his steak well done. <laughs> 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 
Essentially, the son remembered who he was. Remember who the father was, which is to say, he heard the father calling. There have, there's, have, you ever, have you ever been living beneath your privilege as a son or daughter of God? And in the middle of doing whatever it is that you were doing, you could hear something in the back of your mind or in your heart saying, Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. You're better than this. You're more than this. Yes. You're destined for more. Yes. You're destined for better. You're destined for greatness. Don't stay here. Don't stay. I've called you for more. Almost finished. Come out of hiding. A challenge. A calling. A command. Father was never after an apology after all. He was after his, his, his son's heart. I'm going to repeat that. Father was never, and he is never, after an apology. He was after the heart of his son. He cares. And he cared more about restoration than a chiding critique of his son's behavior. <laughs> if you show up in a place and that's what you're hearing week after week is a chiding, a correction of your behavior every week, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, bring me a new robe. The best robe. Bring me a ring. Bring me shoes. Come out of hiding with a calling. A calling of the prodigal father standing in the garden that he has prepared. Come to a place where all things are already done. Where all things are prepared for you. In the original garden, sons and daughters were merely to steward the work that was already done. Everything was prepared, and it is so even now. As 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the good things which the Father has prepared for them that love. 2020 took us all by storm. And yet in the last four months of 220, I can't help but believe that, that what the scripture says, the eye is not seen and ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love. Yes. Lastly, I hear, come out of hiding as a command. It is time. Yes. If you've seen the movie, I'm sure you have. If you haven't, if you have, we can't be friends. The movie Lion King. You've not seen the movie Lion King. And don't care if you like the animated version or the new version. They're essentially the same. If you've not seen The Lion King, you and I cannot be friends. We'll be buddies. And we'll curl a bump when we see each other. But it's a prophetic movie. You probably don't believe that because you see it as a cartoon. But it's a good movie. If you've seen it, you know that young Simba is chased off to live in shame by his wicked Uncle Star. It amazes me that they use the name Star because people with Star will always cause you to live in shame. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. And if you don't deal with your hurt and grief, I can promise you, it's going to come up and out inside of you and it's going to spill over on everybody that you're around. You better deal with it. How do I deal with it? Well, several different ways. The first way is to, you know, just submit you to the problem. Ask the Father to give you direction as the Holy Spirit who is your guide and comfort. If you need, go to guidance and counsel. It amazes me how damaging people with unhealed scars can be. They always seek to rule by fear. And chase off any chance of life and goodness because they feel threatened by it. After living in shame, but also growing his name, yeah. Simba is greeted by what I like to call Old Prophet Rafiki. I know where your father lives, he tells Simba. Come with me, I'll show you the place. Just as Simba looks down into the water. You remember the, have you seen the cartoon? They're running through the vines and he's trying to keep up with the prophet because the prophet speaks so fast and it takes him probably days or weeks to process what he just said. Just bear with me. Don't call me Rafiki, but just listen to what I've got to say. It'll lead you to a place of reflection. And he looks down in the water. Remember Simba looks down in the water and he says, he sees his own reflection. At first he thinks it's his father because his mane is drawn. He hasn't looked at himself in a while. And he says, that's not my father, that's just me. And the old prophet says, no, 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 look hard. Yeah. And he goes, like that. That'll do it, that'll do it. And he looks again. 
And the water begins to move. There's a troubling of the water, my God. There's a troubling water. And then what he does, he sees the face of his father. And he says, Father, and then the voice comes from heaven. Simba, you have forgotten me. No, Father, how could I have forgotten you? You have forgotten who you are and thereby forgotten me. Can you not hear the voice of the Heavenly Father? You have forgotten who you are. You are not a victim of 2020. We're not a victim at all. We're victorious. You can choose either be a victim or be a victim. Either be bitter or be better. You're not going to be both. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who you are. Thereby, you've forgotten me. Simba, you must take your place in the great circle of life. You are my son. And the one true king. You are my son. And the one true king. It was a challenge, a calling, and a command. Simba, or should I say it this way? True Vine Worship Center, visitors, guests, you must take your place. You must take your place. His place was never meant to be hanging out with the pigs, but ruling and reigning in life. I hear the voice of the Father saying to some of you, it's time to come out of hiding. Look around. The world is burning. Spirits are at work. And it's no longer okay to stay silent as evildoers prevail. Come out of hiding. The world needs you. The kingdom needs you. When Simba gets back to the place where he should have ruled, he sees the whole kingdom has gone up in smoke. An evil scar is ruling. It sounds like life to me. It's a metaphor for life. If you don't deal with scar when you have the opportunity, before long your whole world will be on fire. And yet there's still a calling that says your man has grown, you're more than you think you are, and you are a reflection of me. Amen. Man, I never heard the Lion King preach before. Stick around. It gets better or worse depending on your perspective. Next week we do Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> it's time to come out of hiding. The world is burning. Come out of hiding. The world needs you. The kingdom needs you. No more moping around in fear and shame or in doubt and unbelief. Come out of hiding. No more believing a lie instead of the truth. Come out of hiding. No more settling for less than God's very best. Come out of hiding. No more settling for less than all that God has prepared for time to come out of hiding. It's time to love again. Come out of hiding. The kingdom awaits. Come out of hiding. Your future awaits. Come out of hiding. Your children's future awaits. Come out of hiding. The voice of the Father awaits. Come out of hiding. The garden of plenty. Yeah. It awaits. And you'll never get there if you've bricked your wall, if you've bricked your heart off, bricked your soul off, brick by brick, and say, I'm not letting them in. You think that's what you're doing, but when you brick yourself in, it's not a matter of them getting out, of them getting in. You, what you've done is you've walled yourself up that you can't get out. You thought you were protecting yourself. And all you were doing was it was encapsulating yourself in a cage of your own shame, your own mistakes, and your own failure. Your own misunderstanding. Your own offense. The word offense, interestingly enough, in the original translation is the word is the word scandalon. Look it up. Like if there's a scandalon. Offense means scandalon. And it's the picture of a of a stick with a rope holding a trap. And if you take the bait, you're trapped. I've seen more people trapped by a fence this year. It probably ever, and I've seen a whole lot of offense. And when you're offended, you're no good to anybody, let alone yourself. That's why the enemy's trying so hard to get you to be offended at your brothers and sisters because of the color of their skin, or because of what their occupation is, or because of the way they do or don't vote, or, or whatever. You name it. You get offended by everything these days. You can be offended because you said something, and people get offended because you didn't say something. People get offended because you put that on Facebook and people get offended because you took it off. I've had people offended at me for likes that I've had on Facebook that were joke memes. Not joke. That's me. You take, if you take the bait and you trap yourself, it's, but, but, but the Father doesn't want that. He just wants you trapped. Come out of that place. You know good, there. You know good wall in. You know good with your heart all walled in. 
Brick by brick, what you need to do is by the Holy Spirit, just kick that wall down and say, no, I'm not going to be removed from my brothers and sisters. I'm not going to be removed from what's going on. The Lord has called us to live and to reign in life. That's your body. We're called to live and to reign in life. You have it in you, according to what Paul preached, and what you, you have the DNA of the Father, of the Creator, which is to say, a part of your ability, your God-given ability is to create. So do it. Come out of life. I don't ever want to minimize your pain. And yet, I would say with Paul, I reckon, he said one time, that the sufferings of this present time, he wasn't minimizing the sufferings. Paul knew something about suffering. Shipwrecked, stoned, bitten by snakes, you know, cast away, thrown into a, most of the books that he wrote in your New Testament, two-thirds of which he wrote, half the books and two-thirds of the content, he wrote from a prison cell. The last several years of his life, Paul would live in a prison cell that was 10 by 10 that had a little tiny window about 25 feet above. And that would be the only light that he would see for years until they dragged him out to behead him. And yet that Paul would say, I don't know it. Which is to say, when, I, when it all filters down, when I, when I figure it out, when I've done an appraisal, when I've done an appraisal of my life, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. I will say to you that I do not want to minimize the, the suffering of 2020 because I know many of you have. I've talked to you, very many of you, on a personal basis. I've suffered some this year. We've all suffered some sort of loss. And yet I would say with Paul, because I know the goodness of the Father, that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to. I, I mean, not even worthy to be compared. If you put if you put the sufferings on this side of the scale, and you put the glory that's coming on this side of the scale, then this side of the scale is going to far outweigh this side of the scale. In fact, the word for glory is kabod, and it means weight. I reckon that the sufferings, the, the, the pain, the affliction, the misunderstanding, even the offense of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed in us. And when will it be revealed? When you come out of hiding. You stay in hiding. You will live in your shame. You will live in your... I've been there. I'm speaking from experience. I'm not talking here as though I've arrived and I'm this great one. No, no. I've walked it. I know what it's like. I know what it does to you. It eats at you. It keeps you from sleeping. It keeps you from being able to function properly. You'll, you'll wall yourself off from friendship and relationship and everything else. And yet the Father say, no, no, no. Come out of hiding. Because the suffering of this present time, it's not even worthy. It's, it's like the, it's the picture of a mother who's in travail, who's having birth pains, and she's about to give birth, and it hurts, and it hurts, and it hurts, and then the baby comes. And the moment she sees the face of the baby, all the pain and travail is not even worthy to be compared with the beauty that is the face of that child that she holds for the first time. Any of you mothers could say, yes, giving birth was painful, but I wouldn't go back and undo it. Put your hand down. Not no, no, no good mother. Would do that. In the same way, maybe you're pregnant with purpose. And maybe walling yourself off, you need to come out of hiding because maybe what you're feeling is not so much suffering. But if you look up, if you look at people, people like to talk about eschatology these days. Everybody thinks everything's the mark of the beast and everything's the end of the world and everything's the end of all things. When the, when, when the Bible says these are the beginning of sufferings, when Jesus said that, that word sufferings translates birth pains. He wasn't saying this is the end of all things. He was saying this is a new, it's the end of one thing, but it's the beginning of another thing. Something's about to be birthed. And what I see in 2020 is we've been through seven months worth of birth pains, and it's been very painful. I wouldn't do it. But there is something that is going to be birthed in this year that when it's birthed from us, not to us, when it's birthed from us, we'll look back and say, I can't hardly even remember the pain of the first several months of the year because of the goodness that God revealed in and through us in the latter part of the year. He like give me some something besides Superman. Maybe some more money. No, look at look at the peanut guy. Just beautiful. They're on a whole different level than we are. Sean looks down and says, "Come up here." Some of you. For this, have gone into a place of hiding, and I know it. I'm not going to call you by name. I know it because you told me that. Some of you, I, I discern it because I'm not a fool. And some of you, the, the Holy Spirit just sh shines a light on you and says, "This." In fact, 
I would say there are more of us in this building today that are in a place of hiding than are not. So that way you don't have to feel single out. I'm telling you, if you ever believe anything I say, look, I got nothing to gain from this. I just want to help you. I hear the Father say, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Come out of that place of shame. Come out of that place of brokenness. Come out of that walled off place that you thought was protection. It wasn't protection. It was keeping you from life. Come out of that offense. What's the old saying? You can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And you can almost never fool yourself. Some of you know, I've pulled back. I've been hurt. And so I've hit myself. I became afraid. Because I was naked or I was without something or I felt like I was less than or not worthy. So I hid. I hid from relationship, I hid from opportunity, I hid from dream, I hid from my call, I hid from my true identity. If that's you, I just simply want to pray with you this morning. I'm not asking you to come down to the front, although you're more than welcome to. My father had a saying, he would say the altars were open, but he would say they were open at Calvary, they're always open. I want to pray with you this morning. So I want to believe with you that many of us are going to take a, a big step out of this walled off place, a big step out of this box that we put ourselves in, our big step out of this offense that we've, that we've walked into, our grief, and say, okay, then it might just be one step. Today is just one step. You're, you may not float out of here with brand new wings, but if you walk out of that, of that place where you've walked yourself off, you've taken the first step of healing. i never forget when Jake and I, uh, when my father had his heart attack back in 2010, and I saw him, my dad was not going to go to the hospital. I saw all the tubes and stuff out of his mouth. And he just looked helpless. I'd never seen him like that. My dad had never been helpless in his life, not to us. You know, and if he did, I mean, a man suffered heart attacks when he'd go to the hospital for it. We've seen him a few times, many of you have. And looked back there and thought, man, I don't, want, I don't want this to happen to me. And so my father, I obviously had his DNA in my body. I also had her DNA in my body. She plays tackle football. And she's yeah. at least 39. She's been 29 more than once. <laughs> She's been 30 more than once, but I'll leave there. But I've got his deep. If, if I would have changed what might be the course of my life, his father lived to what, 59? He lived to 57. I better do something about it. And so, man, we went and got this program called P90X. I don't recommend it for anybody. <laughs> they should have renamed it Hell on the Wheels. <laughs> And Jacob and I, uh, I, I tried it, and then Jacob said, Dan, we'll work out with you. This was in 2012 or 13. I said, oh, man, let's give it a shot. So we bought one that's called a little less hell, or P90X3, which is to say it's only 30 minutes instead of 90 minutes. And I'll never forget, so we take before pictures. If you ever want to see, I should share that sometime, um, since I'm such a guido. You might like that if I share my before and after pictures. Man, we did 30 minutes worth of working out, and five minutes of it to stretching, and two minutes pulling down, so 23 minutes. And I thought I was going to die. Could not do the most of what the guy did. Tony Horton is the instructor. And during the workout video, he says, look, if you can't do you know, 25 push-ups, do the things you can. If you can't do pull-ups, Jacob's like, yeah, I think I can do one. I said, man, I probably can't do two or three. And that's probably what I could do. And, but, but when we got finished with the first night, drenched in sweat in our living room, I looked at my son and he looked at me and both of us were just a, 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 not a sight to behold. Next night, you know, we did. We, well, I, I stumbled into the living room because I could barely walk from the 23 minutes where I worked out the night before. Not a joke. I had to buy bands to put on my feet to take some of my weight off to be able to do a pull-up. Couldn't do it. I'm using this as an analogy. Ultimately, we got through the whole program, and, you know, we, I worked it ever since. I actually fell in love with it. I like doing it. I, I like to do it. it First of all, I feel like when you get older, you can choose your pain. You're either gonna you're gonna live in pain because you're sick, or you're gonna live in pain because you put your body through whatever it takes to stay healthy. You know what's painful to me? Broccoli. No, it's a joke. 
sweet things that that's kind of important. Amen. But now, I, I, what's, the, what's your point, Josh? My point is some of you that have been hiding for so long that you think that it's almost impossible because you look at where you would like to be and where you are, and there's a great gulf fix between where you want to be and where you are, whether it's relationally, financially, or, or whatever. You feel like you're on blame. Say, man, I, I'm so far. Take one step. Do one push-up. As the analogy do one pull-up. And if you have to use bands to help you get up, then get up. Before you know it, you're going to be stronger than you ever thought you could be. Now I'm going to prophesy. You're going to be stronger than you ever thought you could be. Some of you, your businesses are going to be stronger than they were before COVID happened to you. I, I really believe that. You have that authority. Some of your relationships are going to be more powerful than they've ever been in your life. And you're finally going to be able to fully let go and trust like you've never done before. They're okay. They don't bother Take one step. Come out of high. Decide today. Okay, he's right. I've walled up my heart and I'm done with it. Let's pray. Father, to the best of my ability, I understand this was not a hermeneutical, homological masterpiece. But to the best of my ability, I have conveyed what I believe that you put on my heart to convey. I know for a fact that many of us, including myself, have felt attacked as if this year happened to us and said it was an opportunity for us. And yet the year's not over. And now we find ourselves in the second day of the eighth month. And we can look around and we can give up and, and, and look forward to next year. We can say, well, you have the power to redeem even this year. In broken finance, broken relationship, uh, whatever the case may be. Some of us, Father, have walled ourselves off and our hearts off from community, from friendship, from opportunity, from dreams. Some of us had our dreams crushed so many times that we refuse to drink, that we'll stay awake at night so that we don't go to sleep and dream again because we know it's not. I pray, Father, that this morning this would be our opportunity to take the first step towards those dreams, towards our ambitions, towards coming out of hiding, hiding from you and hiding from others, that we would, with open face, as the King James says, approach you. Let this be a day of first steps. Let this be a day that we look into the water and see your reflection looking back at us, challenging us to remember who we are. Let this be a day that we hear you as our Father saying, I've got a new robe for you and a new ring for you, new shoes. Let us be a day that we see that you've already prepared a garden for us. And you didn't want us to be alone there, so you, you've given us community, you've given us people to share life with. I pray that this would be a transformational day for many. As we leave, Lord, let these words be seared in our hearts and in our souls so that once we come through our own Red Sea, as it were, we can help others through theirs. In Jesus' name. Amen.